Yeah, so I would say find whether whether you're a dedicated marketer at you know a bigger company or whether you're you know um, a marketer third that's your third hat or something like find some love for it because yes it, it, you know it's important it does work and and if you can and if you can actually enjoy it um, versus um, making it feel like a, a component of your job um, it goes a long way. Come back to the podcast, everyone. In this episode, it's all about marketing. Now, I'm a huge believer in only spending money on marketing where you can track the return on investment. And so many different forms of marketing, you really can't track it. Restaurants spend tens of thousands of dollars on this campaign and that, and they'll never know if it actually works. The caveat to that, or an exception, is a direct mail campaign. Now, many restaurants have tried direct mail with varying levels of success, but we're going to learn in this episode all about how to marry traditional direct mail with digital technology. With me today, Mr. Dave Fink, and he is the CEO of a company called Posty. He's worked with Dollar Shave Club, famous celebrities, the Olsen Sisters, and Jessica Simpson. That's going to be interesting to talk about, and all sorts of marketing ideas that are best for restaurants right now, regardless of their sales. So stay tuned. You're not going to want to miss this episode. You're tuned in to the Restaurant Rockstars podcast. Powerful ideas to rock your restaurant. Here's your host, Roger Bodwin. People go to restaurants for lots of reasons. What the customer doesn't know is the thousands of details it takes to run a great restaurant. This is a high-risk, high-fail business. It's a treacherous road, and smart operators need a professional guide. I'm Roger. I've started many highly successful, high-profit restaurants. I'm passionate about helping other owners and managers not just succeed, but knock it out of the park. You don't just want to run a restaurant. You want to dominate your competition and create a lasting legacy. Join the Academy, and I'll show you how it's done. Welcome back, everyone. This is the Restaurant Rockstars podcast. And as you know, our goal with the podcast is to help you transform your restaurant operation, make you more successful, more profitable. And this pandemic has been devastating, of course, but if you're still standing, now's the time to rediscover your passion dig deep, get resourceful, and stay in the game. With me today, Mr. Dave Fink. He's the founder and CEO of a company called Posty. Now, this is a marketing episode all about disrupting direct mail campaigns through digital technology. So this is going to be a lot of key nuggets on marketing your restaurant, your business, your hospitality operation. Welcome to the show, Dave. How are you today? I'm great. Thanks for having me. Really excited to have you here. You know, we haven't done a lot of marketing episodes, so I'm really glad that this is a marketing topic because, you know, very few restaurant owners and operators are really, they don't specialize in marketing. You know, as an owner, we're really concentrating most of the time on getting the food out on time and pleasing our guests and customers. And we rely on others to do our marketing in some cases, but marketing is the lifeblood of our business because without marketing, you don't have sales. Without sales, you're out of business. So thanks for being here. Let's talk a little bit about your backstory. I know you have a little stint in the restaurant industry. And then after that, I want to see how, you know, what your career trajectory has been to lead to Posty. And then we're going to talk all about what Posty is, what it does, how it works, that kind of thing. So tell us your backstory. Sure. Um, so my my experience in the hospitality space is, is pretty light compared to, to many of your guests. Um, certainly, we'll go deep on the marketing side and, and yeah. um, have a decent amount of experience. Um, engaging with those in the hospitality space through um, providing marketing services. My experience was early on, and it was in high school. Um, for those um, of your listeners who may be from the Chicago area, there was a great outdoor music venue called Ravinia, and that was about two blocks away from where I grew up. And I spent um, one summer working as a concession stand operator and got to work hot dog carts and Dove Bar carts. Um, and, and that was really my, my first experience or my, my, my kind of one direct experience in the hospitality space, um, got to understand kind of the behind the scenes, what, um, um, it was like to, to, um, have the responsibilities of catering to, um, you know, concert goers and kind of the preparation and the cleanup work and, and just how many hats you wear in that space. And quite frankly, how exhausting, mm. um, of a job it is and how tired you are at the end of a shift or a night. For sure. 
So, so that was, you know, that, that was, um, you know, one of, I think, a, a sea of, of um, uh, kind of retail type roles that, that I had, um, you know, early in my career. I, I, I always loved work. I, I remember maybe not exactly telling the truth on um, how old I was when I got my first job. And, uh, and I thought I was being so smart and years later realized I was, I think it was being paid like $3 an hour in cash. Um, and, uh, and so I don't think I was fooling anybody, but, but for me, it was great experience. And, um, that kind of motivation, I think has, um, carried me through, uh, my, my entire career. Uh, I've been in the technology consumer internet space for 23, 24 years at this point. And uh, my experience really always kind of hovered around marketing, but I've been on kind of oscillated between kind of two sides of, of marketing. Um, but half the companies I've been involved in or um, or launched have been marketing technology companies, um, typically focused on digital media and leveraging the rapid innovation in, in software and data and measurement and targeting. And and those businesses always catered to to brands that engage directly with consumers, and we're looking for ways to engage prospects and customers and, and grow revenue. Uh, the other half of of my kind of ex, you know uh, professional career has been spent on the brand side, so been involved with um, dozens of of brands that were built direct to consumer in this age of digital. Um, and but but always kind of took a, a growth perspective. So either I worked in marketing departments or um, I was you know uh, an executive in that in in one of those companies. Um, and our, our one of our kind of key you know superpowers was always understanding how to leverage marketing, marketing technology, and um, and and be competitive in in oftentimes highly competitive uh, markets. Um, so ho- hopefully that gives your listeners yeah. Uh, uh, a, a good overview. Let's uh, let's dive a little deeper into that because I know you had some success uh, that you brought to Dollar Shave Club. I know we all have heard of Dollar Shave Club. They came out of nowhere, became really successful, and you had a part in that. Do you want to tell us about that as a sort of a case study or or what you know what you were able to do for them? Sure. I mean that was an incredible. I mean, it all happened, I think, in four years, which is, um, I mean, it really is like the, the TV, you know, um, uh, version of what it's like to, to launch a business and find success. Um, my involvement with Dollar Shave Club was when I was one of the, the founding partners at a tech studio and incubator, which is really kind of a, a platform-based company that helps entrepreneurs take ideas, bring them to market and, and kind of um, reduce some of the, the risk associated with starting a business from scratch. Mm-hmm. And we were really fortunate to um, come in contact with uh, a, just a, a really brilliant marketer and entrepreneur, first time entrepreneur, actually, at that point, um, Mike Dubin, who who you've seen on all of the funny viral videos, that is the founder of the company. Um, you know, Mike um, did everything from kind of come up with the concept to launch the business to in the early days, um, you know, pick, pack, and ship razors to you know his customers. Yeah, right. And um, and and that <laughs> was th- that was a really interesting experience for a number of reasons. But but to me, the the number one um, takeaway was prior to the involvement in 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 you know participating in the launch of, of Dollar Shave Club. I was very focused on on a lot of the blocking and tackling, the minutia of testing and optim- optimizing. And as, as maybe some of your listeners would think about um, or would relate to, that would be like the equivalent of thinking about the very specific spice that goes into a dish um, or a, a garnish that goes on the dish versus kind of the dish holistically and the experience of 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 the environment with which that dish is presented and in that whole dining experience. So, you know, I, I was very focused on things like the font size, the specific use of capitalization, what colors drive an illicit in, engagement in a marketing piece or in a, a packaging. Mm-hmm. Um, that you very important in this space. Yeah, absolutely. And those are, those are really important things. And those, those can, those can, um, uh, can really help you optimize, um, you know, your value proposition, the way consumers engage with your product or service. But, um, but what Dollar Shave Club taught me is that, um, you know, the brand story, the emotion that you create at a much higher level, um, you know, the, you know, 
the the way that you can engage consumers on a, on a humanistic level um, can be absolutely game changing and and can can exponentially um, increase your likelihood of success and the impact that you have. And so, you know, that Dollar Shave Club mission was all about you know this is a market that's been dominated by one multi 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 billion dollar conglomerate. Mm-hmm. We've all had the pain point experience of of buying like going to to Target or Walgreens or. CVS or wherever you shop for your 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 grooming products, your toiletries, and and checking out, and, and it's like one hundred twenty dollars. Like I bought like four items, and one of those were, were razors and razor blades. Of course, and and that was a, that was a pain point. Nobody wants to think about shaving or or buying you know a, an item like that. And and so kind of Dollar Shave Club's mission um, really was that brand story, which is like how you deliver a great product, you know, directly to your customers in an affordable. Um, fair priced way, and and they were able to do that through funny storytelling and kind of the the really the the, the invention and emergence of social media. We all take for granted now that you know whether we're on TikTok or YouTube or Instagram or Facebook, etc. But at the time that Dollar Shave Club was launching, YouTube was just becoming YouTube, and Facebook was just becoming Facebook, and so the ability to use video and broadband type. Um, you know, uh, uh, you know, social media content um, to build a direct, you know, relationship with your consumers that 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 was still really early. Yeah, um, absolutely. And now it's so relevant. And so right now, and everyone needs to do it. So yeah, a hundred percent. So yeah. so that, you know, and, and then, you know, the, the kind of the rest is history with mm-hmm. anybody that's followed the Dollar Shave Club story, which is, um, they kind of told a great story, had a great product, um, you know, uh, treated their customers really well, uh, you know, acquired millions of subscribers over, you know, four short years, and then had um, a billion dollar plus exit um, to one of the biggest holding companies. That's the storybook fantasy. It, it is for like, sure. You know, yeah. It makes your head spin. That's oh, yeah, totally. Most businesses, you know, <laughs> uh, work. Um, but that was a fun one. That's fantastic. Now you've also worked with celebrities, Jessica Simpson, the Olsen sisters. Want to tell us a little bit about that as well? Uh, it seems like a lifetime ago. Um, it's all part of your backstory. It it is. It is. It's it is. Um, it, it didn't doesn't seem like that long ago. I was this bright eyed, bushy tail, yeah, twenty two year old, yeah. trying to figure out <laughs> what the world was all about, and and I look back to some of these experiences. Yeah, th- th- those are re- those are really interesting experiences too. Um, a very you know LA um, experience. Uh, you know, I spent a big um, portion of my career in Los Angeles, and um, had the opportunity to to work with um, a- actually the, the some of the founding team of of the original um, social media platform MySpace, and they had I remember um, that. Deep- yeah, yeah, it's MySpace. been a while. Oh my god. But that MySpace was Yeah, know, that was the first, right? And Facebook ate their lunch, of course, and they were gone in an instant. But it's like MySpace was a thing once. I don't know, was that 15 years ago, maybe or more? I don't know. Uh but yeah, probably about 15, 18 years ago. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, these cycles happen really quickly sure. in, in technology. But yeah, um, that was kind of the first time like I think yeah, the world was able to really create their own presence and persona online through their page. Mm-hmm. And yep. um, and and so you know that 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 team had experience in commerce, they had experience in kind of that celebrity world, they had experience in um, you know, what it was like to become social celebrity. Um, it was really early when you talk about like like Dollar Shave Club leveraging the emergence of Facebook and YouTube, that, that was certainly like V2 or three of social media. MySpace was was certainly V1, but that was like when things were all kind of happening to come together. You know, broadband was increasing. Um, you know, that we were thinking about our online um, profiles and personalities. It wasn't just you know shopping or reading news articles online anymore. And and the premise there was was really around social shopping. And the the idea was, you know. Um, there's an advantage in being a direct consumer brand in that you can control um, some of your costs and potentially be comp- price competitive. But there's a lot of noise out there. That noise has only got you know amplified over time with how easy it is to launch brands. And and the premise there was could we you know leverage the the awareness and and social presence of um, of celebrities who were kind of the first, so the, the first social celebrities were celebrities themselves building their, their, um, social profiles. And could, could that accelerate the launch of a brand, um, by partnering up, 
you know, with a celebrity, with a category that they had um, relevance in and passion in. And, and we cycled through that a number of times. And, and, um, and I think we learned that, um, you know, my, my takeaway from that was that authenticity uh, matters, which I'm sure, um, you know, your, your listeners would, would agree mm-hmm. with. I like that. You're uh, the right. idea of just slapping any celebrity face on a product um, might work a little bit as an endorsement, but actually launching a company around it, there there has to be some some credibility and authenticity into why that celebrity you know would would want to be involved in launching that business. Everyone knows that Smithfield Culinary has a full line of great ready-to-cook to ready-to-eat products from Smithfield and Margarita. But what else is cooking? Tap into the latest culinary trends and get inspired with new recipes created by real working chefs from across the country. Bring more to the table with flavors and new menu ideas your guests will savor. Visit smithfieldculinary.com or follow at Smithfield Culinary on social media. Yeah, you know, you've made some key points, Dave, about um, the importance of staying relevant and staying ahead of the curve, which started with this whole MySpace conversation. I mean, especially during the pandemic, you know, survival of the fittest, staying relevant, um, having a value proposition, you know, having an authentic message, telling a good story, like all these things are foundational elements of really good marketing that operators and managers really need to pay attention to, whether they understand those concepts or not. You need to find someone that can literally put that story together Make it authentic, but tell a good story. Make sure there's the value proposition. And then how do you disseminate that message when you say, I mean, the noise is clearly out there. I mean, I think this is very relevant to the discussion. Sure. Well, I, I think you know, restaurants have an, an advantage that uh, that many of the direct consumer brands um, have as well. And, and, and maybe, you know, arguably even a bigger advantage. And that's that that they engage with 100% of their customers. Absolutely true. Mm-hmm. Right? So- yep. You know, if you think about a, like, let's go back to the razor category. You know, if you're Gillette and you're selling razors um, through the traditional wholesale retail model, you're never engaging directly with your consumers. Maybe you're you're commissioning, you know, um, agencies to do brand studies or brand analysis, um, but you're not hearing direct feedback on a daily basis from your customers. At least you, you certainly weren't before you know, the internet became what it is today. Your Dollar Shave Club's advantage was every transaction, at, at least you know, for the first several years, was directly with the consumer. Now it was done through the internet, but there were forums and abilities to get direct feedback from those consumers. They were able to speak directly to those consumers, control the transaction, they had all the data on um, on the value proposition that they were delivering, and they could use that to their advantage to move quickly and make sure that they were staying relevant. Um, and if you, you know, to, to you, every business has its own challenges. Um, you know, your you know your um, you know segment is no no different than than in in that regard. But one of the advantages that you know that from the minute someone you know picks up a phone and books a reservation to walks in to um, to be seated to engages with a, a menu and a server to pays that check and is is you know, thanked on the way out you know those are that you 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 know this industry gets to to see firsthand and capture you know constant um, you know you constantly take the temperature of 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 that that consumer experience absolutely right. And and my guess is that those you know you know restaurateurs that um, are paying attention and are and have a system for capturing that information that data and then are working with their staff to analyze that data and think about how to make improvements or take that mm-hmm. feedback to heart. Uh, you know those, those they have an advantage in staying relevant, being relevant, and ensuring that you know that the vision that they have is actually landing on the on on the diner and and that's really powerful. For sure. For sure. This is a really good time to talk about, you know, how you came to found Posty. What was the brainchild? And then explain the ins and outs of, of what it does and how it's relevant to this discussion and how you can literally help restaurants transform their marketing campaigns in a technological way. Sure. So the, the premise for Posty really came out of, um, you know, fast forwarding maybe six years from the Dollar Shave Club um, okay. uh, era. Yeah. So the the you know brands that emerged, I, I'm gonna 
missed the dates here, probably 2010 to 2014. Mm -hmm. You know, that was when these social platforms were kind of taking over the world. Every month, their user base was growing. Every month, they were investing more in technology to help, um, you know, individuals connect with each other socially and, and businesses connect with their, their customers and prospects. And then, and then the kind of final frontier was investing in, you know, rich, um, deep data-driven, you know, marketing automation capabilities. And that's obviously how those, those platforms make money. And, and the businesses that came along during that era that invested in those channels were able to ca- capitalize on the efficiencies and scale of, of those channels. There Certainly. was, there was just so much growth that there were so many advertising um, placements available on those platforms. The cost was affordable and, and, and businesses like Dollar Shave Club were able to acquire millions and millions of customers really fast, really um, efficiently. What happened is the entire world flocked to these platforms um, and those platforms got very smart and more and more businesses, local, small, mid and enterprise businesses started um, you know, investing more and more of their time and energy and budgets into those channels. And, and the nature of them being marketplaces where an advertiser is always bidding on, um, you know, an impression, reaching uh, their ad, reaching a specific, you know, prospect consumer, those ad rates started going up, became more competitive, and you were seeing 2x, 4x, 10x increases in those rates. And what that meant is that you had to start paying more and more to acquire your customers for your advertising. It, it was just kind of like series of concentric circles of when you optimized, you know, a target, you had to start spending more um, to reach more customers. And, and it just became more and more painful over the six, seven, eight year stint. So, so for us, the idea was, was simply, it wasn't originally like, how do we revolutionize direct mail? It was, okay, you know, there are these two 10,000 pound gorillas in Facebook and Google. We have to play in those playgrounds. But if all we're doing is is marketing in those two channels, we're never going to be able to grow profitable businesses and we're going to be limited in our scale. Um, And so, so for us, it was, well, what are other channels that allow us to engage directly with consumers at scale using data and potentially the technology advancements that we've learned along the last you know decade in digital media to to find efficiency and, and more growth and take more control over over our businesses um, you know marketing and and we looked in a in in a bunch of digital channels first and and there there was just nothing that was rivaling those two channels. Um, crazy data point is last time I checked, eighty five cents on every dollar of digital advertising spend goes into Facebook and Google's pockets. Not surprised pounds. to hear you say that. Yep. I mean, eight, eight, right, eighty five cents mm-hmm. of, of every dollar. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's called complete and total domination of the world right there. They crushed it. <laughs> like there is there is no question. Um, which, you know, is a double-edged sword again. There's yeah. benefit to us as, as brands and advertisers, and there's there's challenges. So for, for us, we start, you know, after exhausting you know what the next digital you know, revolution could be and realizing that, that that it just didn't seem like there was anything on the horizon, it pushes back into traditional media and advertising channels. And and because we think about you know automation and 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 ways to reach consumers directly you know not through some intermediary like TV, um, you know, we start getting excited about direct mail and and there were things that we loved about it. Um, one, it's just a monster channel. Fifty billion dollars a year is spent in the direct mail channel in the U.S. alone. It's obviously a channel that was working for some subset of brands at very high level scale. You can reach you know, your, your exact target audience. It allows for geo-targeting, which is really important for your audiences. But there's a lot of data um, that's accessible to, to help you shape who you're reaching um, to be efficient. Um, you know, it's a it's a medium that allows you to control the message. You get to design your own creative. You get to think about whether you're using promotions or offers or benefit statements or you know, lifestyle imagery or product photography, all those components that can kind of affect the outcome of a marketing campaign. And in theory, it, it was measurable, meaning you know, you know who your audience is. You have to thank you post service. Yeah. ROI trackability is so important. That's right. And, and, and all those components were there. 
But for us, what was missing is, you know, it, it was still that $50 billion was really going into that channel through really analog, clunky. Yeah, old school stuff. Methodologies. Zip codes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah the t- targeting wasn't being maximized. Yeah. Um, but just the executional work was really clunky and hard. And so for us, we looked at all this like, like, like value in the channel. And, and to us, it didn't look that differently than some of the, the digital channels like display advertising looked 15, 20 years ago, where it was hard and clunky and confusing. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, tools like DoubleClick, which Google ended up buying, or the Trade Desk made, made some of those channels more efficient and, um, and, and you know, took some getting used to, but once advertisers invested in understanding those, those channels, those platforms, the tools made it possible to work really dynamically, fast, and efficiently. And so that's what Posty is. We're, we're a technology platform that allows you know, brands and advertisers to engage in the direct mail channel with the same kind of vigor and tools and efficiency that they can digital. Um, trying to give them an alternative to social insert. Restaurant owners and managers, I call this the business of a thousand details. And you've got more important things to worry about than calculating and paying your monthly sales tax on time. Well, that's where Davo comes in. Davo puts sales tax on autopilot for restaurants. Davo uses sales tax data from your point of sale system to set aside the exact amount of sales tax you collect every single day and then files it and pays it when it's due on time for your restaurant every month. Davo takes just five minutes to set up, and once it's up and running, you never have to worry about paying sales tax again. Davo costs $49.99 per POS connection per month, and your restaurant can try Davo for the first 30 days free. Davo was created by a successful restaurant chef and owner who knows what's important for your operation. Time is money, and you've got more important things to focus on, like pleasing your guests. You can't put a price on peace of mind. Why not try Davo for the first 30 days at DavoSalesTax.com? So a lot of our audience, myself included, years and years ago, ran direct mail campaigns. Like you said, the traditional clunky way. And yes, there were benefits in that. You could control the offer. You could control the creative. You had a tangible, you know, was this working based on the return rate, the conversions, all that kind of stuff. So those are the core elements but now taking us into you know the 25th century with digital technology, the same basic foundation and premise of controlling the message and the creative and the graphics, but it's also about owning the data and building a database and getting it out through there. Because I know restaurants have also struggled with, okay, the pandemic hits and now everyone needs you know third-party delivery and online ordering and all that kind of stuff. And one of the big sort of challenges with that is a lot of restaurants did not own that data. You know these big third-party companies, huge, right? Now they own the data and it's like, okay, yes, the restaurant owner is getting the benefit of getting the stuff delivered, but yet no marketing tool present, right? And now companies have emerged to address that issue, but it goes back to owning and controlling your data and the power and the importance of building a database. And you guys are all over that. So let's talk a little bit more about how you bridge that gap from the old school direct mail and now keeping that concept, but bringing it into, you know, a digital world. Sure. Sure. Uh, well, I think in, in any, you know, media channel and, and arguably probably any business in general, um, there, there are, you know, a, a few kind of, um, pillars that you focus on in our world, you know, we think about, you know, better targeting. So exactly. What we just talked about how you yeah. can leverage, you know, data and knowledge and um, what you know about um, your, your customers, your diners and your prospect diners mm-hmm. um, to make really good, smart decisions to be as efficient as possible and be in control of who you're reaching. Two is, is just simpler execution. You know, direct mail is, you know, requires complex logistics and production those are not things that a marketer should have to think about. And so for us, it's, you know, let's make sure that that's that kind of operations and logistics stack um, happens flawlessly. You don't have to think about it no differently than you don't have to think about how to serve an ad to, you know, an Instagram feed. You just upload creative and, and, you know, figure out who you want to target. And then, you know, Facebook does the rest. Um and then there's the measurement component, which you talked about, which is you know, it's great to have hypotheses, but but if you don't understand or don't have a way to understand which of your hypotheses were, yeah, you know, a 
efficient and and effective and which weren't, then um, then you're kind of flying blindly. So you know, in this kind of innovative world, all of that happens right from you know a, a centralized dashboard, and it is very similar to how. Um, how someone would set up a search campaign or or uh, an Instagram or or Facebook, um, you know, newsfeed ad, it it doesn't require picking up the phone and and negotiating, haggling with printers and going and trying to find a third party data provider and um, and working with Excel sheets and and trying to you mm-hmm. know make sense of did someone um, you know that we marketed to you actually you know come into the you know, come into our restaurant or book a reservation. Of course. Um, you know, that all happens, um, you know, seamlessly on the technology platform. And, but, but I, you know, like the goal here isn't for this to be commercial about, you know, about Posty. I think that, that re- really what t- to me, what's, what's important is, is exactly what we just talked about, which is, you know, there's this constantly changing dynamic, you know, driven by the pandemic, right? I mean, it, it seems like so natural now if you live in a big city that you'd expect, curbside, you know, um, delivery or that you're using one of the either third party or direct delivery, um, you know, companies for everything from groceries to um, your your prepared prepared meals. And and that seems to be changing, you know, month by month, quarter by quarter. And and when I think of one of those challenges, you know, one of the core challenges, at least the, the piece that, that we can, you know, potentially help with or, or be thought leaders around is how you keep up with kind of the changing experiments in your business or 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 that that, that your um, industry is forcing. And so if you're a restaurant that did not used to have online ordering and now you have online ordering, well, how how do you, how do your customers know that? How, how do you how how do they discover that? How do they think about you first or you as an alternative to you know a quick serve you know restaurant mm-hmm. down the street or 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 whatnot? And and that does require you know messaging and storytelling and engagement and all those things that that you know marketing does so well. And what works for you is is not it's not cookie cut, right? It's it's there are certainly you know playbooks and channels that are more effective than than not but uh the specific messaging the the frequency the time the way you think about um you know rolling out your messaging to different segments within your your dining base you know those things matter and and so you know for for us and and you know it's all about you know how do we make how do we provide the the tools and the, the platform to make it possible for someone who maybe has to think about like menu preparation, yeah, and right, both, right, you know, in dining and managing a staff and sourcing for food, sure. yeah. Um, how do we, in a very short period of time, help them also effectively market? Bandwidth is an important piece of that, especially now. Of course, having the time to work one on one with someone that is going to, you know, obviously take your marketing forward is is super important. But yeah, taking the time to prioritize that is clearly important. You touched on something that um, I want to talk about. Obviously, in a digital world, there's an opportunity to do split testing, right? So you can come up with multiple offers and see which one performs the best. Whereas in the old school way with direct marketing, you came up with one little concept. It was a postcard. It was a mailer of some sort. It had one offer. It had some kind of call to action that was trackable and you mailed it out and you on a wing and a prayer decided, is this working? Is this going to work? But now in a digital world, you can have multiple offers and send them out and track which one is performing the best, converting the best, all that. Am I missing anything? No, that that's that's exactly right. And 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 that is kind of the minutia of marketing where it it's um eye-opening um when you know if you're you know a marketer at the first time that you run in an A B or multi multivariate test, lots of different variables that you're testing simultaneously, and one of those test cells or ads performs, you know, sometimes exponentially better than the yeah, rest. Right. It's, like, true. it's amazing, right? You can but, like, clearly like, see. Yeah. Yeah. And and and, and so what does that tell you? Well, it tells you that it's not just about having a great product or a great story, but it's also, you know, figuring out how to message that in a way that that resonates with with the recipient of that message. And mm-hmm. sometimes that Correct. can be, you know, the type of images that you're using. It can be the colors. It certainly is, um, you know, the you know, every business has um, you know, multiple benefits that they provide a customer at a restaurant. It could be the ambiance. It could be, 
Um, you know, um, something about healthy or locally sourced, you know, farm to table ingredients. It could be about, you know, the sh- it could be a founder story and the chef's background. It could be, um, uh, you know, some influence from a foreign, you know, country or territory. You know, th- it's not one thing. Like very rarely, are, uh, you know, uh, is, a, is a diner saying, I'm going to this restaurant solely because, you know, they use this one ingredient, this one dish, and that chair is really comfortable by the table. And that's why I go there. There's a number of of, of reasons, and um, and and you know to you know pro- and and test and optimization based marketing allows you to experiment mm-hmm. with all those those wonderful benefits that your restaurant um, provides diners to try and figure out. Not just you want to get them to give you the opportunity to, to enjoy that experience and recognize all those things, and you have to figure out what those trigger points are um, to kind of mobilize those, those audiences, um, or those, those consumers to actually take the first step, which is come dine with you once. Well, there's another interesting point. Cause I'm a huge believer in competitive advantage and hooks and what sets a restaurant apart, a unique sales proposition versus just trying to be salesy, just trying to, you know, sell somebody something versus a very unique story. Like you mentioned the chef's background, you know, every restaurant has a story, a reason for being something that is really unique and special and different about them. And in my book, you can't have too many hooks, but the more hooks you have, the more opportunities you have to, you know, gauge your customer's response to something that catches their attention. You know, I think that's beautiful. Yeah. And, and then it's one of the, the potential ways that you can um, present that message and how do you do it most impactfully and how right. do you do it in a thoughtful way that that allows you, um, you know, the, the two things. One is the confidence that if you replicate that message, you spend, you know, more on those, um, you know, those customer acquisition or marketing tactics that you'll yeah. continue to get those results. And, and the other is predictability. It's, it's you know, um, there, there is math and science behind advertising, and the more that you can, um, you know, inter- you know, you can pull that into your decision making. Um, you know, the better you can sleep at night. I, I, I want to be able to wake up in the morning and not, you know, think, oh, oh my gosh, like how, how am I going to grow my business today? I got to start all over again. I, I want to, you know, know that that um, we've learned something yesterday that that I get to reapply today, and I have confidence that okay, that that's taken care of. Now let's try and do something better today. Um, but at least I know, um, I'm going to fill X number of seats, um, or I'm likely to, because I have these two or three strategies, messages, advertising campaigns, merchandising, um, word of mouth, whatever, you know, whatever those, those, um, you know, number of kind of focal points are in your marketing stack that, that those things are going and working. And, um, and then, yeah, and then you can sleep a little bit better. Now I was on your website and there's certain specifics that I'd like you to explain a little further. One is lookalike audiences. If you could explain that, I want to talk about KPIs or key performance indicators and also about website retargeting. You know, when you first go to a website and you see these terms and you really want to understand the ins and outs of them and why that makes sense for me as a restaurant operator, manager, whatnot, if you could just take us through those three things. Sure. So, so um, lookalikes is has become kind of the common um, name for for really using um, what you know about your existing um, customers or mm-hmm. segment of of those customers. Yeah, um, frequent diners, for example, loyalty members, etc. And um, and then use that data and math um, to be able to identify those other individuals within your market that look most similar to those customers. It's what gotcha. they're called lookalikes. Mm-hmm. So the idea is, hey, if I have X dollars of advertising to spend on social, on programmatic display, on direct mail, um, you know, a big, you know, the, the, the two biggest levers that I have to pull are the, the messaging and the creative, that the actual ads that I'm, I'm running or testing, and the other is the targeting. And so how do we leverage every asset to our, our you know, at our um, disposal to, to, Find the most efficient path to to targeting gotcha. and lo- lookalikes is leverages you know everything that that kind of modern um, math and machine learning and data science has you know has evolved into over the last decade or so, um, which which it's it's there's no like 
crystal ball, but, but we, you know, any, any of us who've taken a math course know that, that math can be used for prediction. And, and so we see uh, lookalikes and uh, certainly on the posty stack as just an absolute competitive advantage to advertisers looking to kind of get into the market efficiently without spending more capital than they need to and, and finding, you know, um, you know, uh, the ideal looking customers to, to, invest in marketing too. Gotcha. So that's that's lookalikes. Mm-hmm. Um, the yeah. next one you talked about KPIs. Um, KPIs. So so um, every business has you know some variation of you know key performance you know um, is you know uh, you know indicators are really the data points that you use to measure the 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 results in, in anything. And in marketing it's you know usually things like return on ad spend. So if I spend, you know, a thousand dollars, how much, you know, how much revenue is that um, return? And, gotcha. and mm-hmm. if of course. I spend a thousand dollars in advertising and I return $2,000 and my margin is 50%, then I've made, I've broken even like that. That's pretty good. I've grown my business. Um, like that's fine. If I've got, if I spent a thousand dollars and I um I return and that yeah and then on an advertising campaign and it returned three thousand dollars and my margin is fifty percent now I've yeah I've made five hundred dollars that, that's that's fantastic like rinse and repeat let's keep doing more of that um yeah and all, proven to work why wouldn't you pour every dollar that you have into something that's proving to work on a huge level you know that makes perfect sense. Yeah, or at least you know, um, keep ramping month over month and see if those if those if it continues, you know, hold yeah, scale. Um, yeah, you, you want to be careful there. But um, you know, other KPIs could be things like is brand awareness increasing? If it's a if it's a rest a, you know new restaurant in in a specific neighborhood, you think about ways to you know to do brand you know studies and and um, and and you know it's it's it, are there. Are there things that are happening um, around your business that y- that you believe the results suggest will lead to mm-hmm. profits over time? Not everything is an immediate. No, it's an investment in the future. Yeah, that that's right. But you become a pillar of your community. It's why lots of restaurants are doing things like sponsoring little league teams. And, of course, yeah, know, goodwill is that. is is part of that for sure. It matters. And it, lo- yeah. Local businesses um, need to participate in their community. Um, that 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 that's just. I think. It, uh, um, you know, if you uh, if you own a storefront and you're someone that lives in the community, and there's somewhat of a founder story. Oh, you know, John or you know Sally, you know, own this restaurant, and and we see them. Yeah, you know, they come to our dry cleaners, and and their kids are in class with our neighbors, and and you know, um, they use the same landscapers and whatnot. Like that, that does matter. Um, so so KPIs can be you know d- directly um, tied to revenue and return on ad spend or a cost of acquiring a new diner, but they can also be, um, you know, um, broader could be, you know, goodwill as you, as you called it, or brand awareness or, um, um, you know, just awareness of a new, um, product launch. I I remember, um, some of the, the, our favorite restaurants growing up in suburbs of Chicago, um, ended up building a much bigger business catering than even their 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 dining, and so sometimes you know they would think I'm sure their advertising would return a loss on you know on revenue spent in any given month, but all of a sudden you know they're catering a wedding, you know, um, and and the the aggregate value that they get from building those relationships with those consumers matter, and so you think about ways to 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 measure multiple um, KPIs in your business. Gotcha. Let's talk website retargeting. That's something that happens to me a lot because I'm a big consumer of YouTube videos. And if I happen to have visited a website, all of a sudden I'm watching, you know, car videos, music videos, whatever it is, and all of a sudden there's that banner ad that pops up. It's really it, it always amazed me how that works. But let's talk about relevance to restaurants and how, you know, someone who's on YouTube can suddenly see an ad for a restaurant that just for whatever reason, how is all that data captured, and how does the process work? Sure, um, and, and look, savvy you know, digital marketing platforms um, have been capturing data on consumers for years. Yeah, um, the, the good ones do it with lots of um, upfront disclosure and mm-hmm. notification, and so there's a contract between 
the the you know the the website visitor and um, and maybe the free content or the free services that they're getting and the um, and 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 their willingness to share certain um, you know um, uh, certain data and 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 viewing behavior um, which which then allows you know those platforms servicing providing the service to to provide better content or services or or, or better advertising. Um, a perfect example um, tied to better experience is um, I, I try and limit my social media viewing time, but uh, I do get sucked in um, from time we to time. We all do. And yeah. Instagram's the one that, that gets me. Um, okay. I do use YouTube quite a bit for things yeah. like um, a lot of like lesson type work. I use mm -hmm. guitars here. I, right. um, you know, I'll jump onto to, um, YouTube and, and find more longer term content on that. But on Instagram, it's these, you know, typically with, especially with like the reels product where it's these short form videos, um, there, I have three hobbies going on simultaneously and it didn't take Facebook who owns Instagram long to use this data to tailor the content that I'm getting, um, in a very relevant way. And so my three hobbies these days are guitars, um, wake surfing and mountain biking. And I would say 92 and a half percent of videos that show up through my Instagram, um, reels feed are are you know uh amazing beautiful you know trail riding um people doing crazy wake surfing tricks and um and people like ripping out amazing you know blues licks and and that same um kind of capability and data can be used in and um by you know advertisers on various tech platforms to be able to engage with their their customers or prospects and so um, we, you know, website retargeting has been around for a long time now, typically done through digital where, um, a consumer providing there's been, you know, notification provided to them, um, that engage with your website. You can then, um, use third party platforms, um, to, to serve, you know, advertising to them to try and drive that, you know, build that bond, build that relationship, effective, a transaction, a purchase, a revenue, revenue generating action. In, in the digital world, like it definitely works like that, that, that media wouldn't still be here if it didn't, but it's, it's more cluttered than ever before. And we all have that experience, that annoyance experience of there seems like no, no filter or thought, like, like you go, you visit, uh, yeah, visit, you know, guitar center and look at a Fender Stratocaster. And like, it seems like everywhere I go on the web for the next you know, 48 yeah. hours. It's yeah. Like it's unbelievable. Yeah. I, like, I get it. If I like, yeah. I like, I'm going to buy that guitar. If I want to buy that guitar, I get it. You, yeah. You can tone it down a little bit. It's not as impactful anymore. But what we found is that introducing um, a more weighty media um, piece of media, like a physical piece of mail, um, you know, one time um, a day or two after someone you know engaged in a in a browsing um, activity, you know, that that has a tremendous amount of incremental value um, in the in the advertising funnel. And so, um, so the, uh, through posting, you can do that exactly that, right? You, you have, you've invested in this website, you've invested in, in lots of content, you're investing in different media, um, uh, driving traffic and awareness to your website. You've maybe invested in online ordering and, and a very small percentage of the people that engage with your website probably put in an order on a daily basis or a monthly basis. And so, so then you start thinking about, well, these are my highest value prospects. These are people that are aware of me, came and checked out my, you know, my menu, um, you know, some of our benefits, the vibe and ambience, you know, I want to do everything I can do to keep those individuals engaged with my restaurant and to try and, you know, try and get them to come dine with us for the first time or build habit coming, thinking about us on a, you know, weekly or monthly basis and, and, and using that engagement, that, that, that ability to um, not just think about constantly paying to drive people um, to your website, but using the, the, those audiences that do engage with your website as a way to um, think about multiple steps and building um, additional relationships um, with them through advertising, like that can be extremely effective. And, and that's how um, website retargeting works both in digital, but also um, through through direct mail. So we're able to facilitate the use of that that data and then in you know pseudo real time within 24 hours, um, print and deploy a piece of mail that gets delivered um, very quickly to someone's home.
Yeah, we, we started this conversation by talking a lot about noise and clutter and that sort of thing. And obviously, we also talked about the dominance of Facebook and Google. But I was really amazed at some of the statistics about direct mail and how it's got 20% greater reach than Facebook and three times higher engagement than email. Can you elaborate on that? Those are really amazing, you know, stop you in your tracks kind of statistics. I mean, you can't argue with that if it's in fact true. Sure. So, um, you know, Media Post, which is a, a very credible um, uh, 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 editor advertising based ad- editorial platform that does a, a lot of market research, mm-hmm. um, just announced. I don't know if it, if it the, the article and the research was presented yesterday, if I just saw it yesterday, but li- literally yesterday um, it, within our, our building, there was an article circulating around that shows that um, that direct mail has the highest return on ad spend and the highest response rates out of any addressable media channel, media channel where you're targeting individuals specifically. Um, the third party study, we had nothing to do with it. Um, that was, you know, I don't think any direct mail, um, company did. That was just a study that looked at everything from email, social search, programmatic TV, radio, et cetera. Um, so, you know, we know it works. It, again, $50 billion is being spent into the industry. The majority of that is, are, is being spent by advertisers who have been investing in the channel for years and years, if not decades. Like, that just doesn't happen if you're not getting a return value. We already talked about how it's a channel that is measurable um, so that you know, you're not um, blindly spending money and you, you, you understand whether you're, you're getting a return on, on that investment or not. Mm-hmm. With the reach component, um, you know, it's a, that's a number that we that we use in our in our kind of marketing material to help uh, brands understand just the, the scale of the channel. When you make an investment in direct mail um, and you find successful tactics and strategies, it's big, and that's because U.S. Postal Service can deliver mail to any any address, right? They they call them delivery points. It's any anyone with an address in the U.S. can be reached through direct mail. You know, Facebook is a beast and Google is a beast, but not everybody uses those platforms. Um, so um, the the data suggests that um, that yeah, they're capturing about eighty percent of the 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 market that the U.S. Postal Service can reach or direct mail can reach. Similarly, not everybody's using Google on a daily basis, and not everybody is on Facebook on a daily basis. There's some cohorts that are, and there's some cohorts that have taken like me that have taken Facebook off their phone. I do have Instagram, but. Um, and and so you there that doesn't mean that people that aren't engaging with Facebook aren't your core target audience or aren't high value prospect customers it means that they're burnt out with those channels and they're and and investing in those channels that are not going to be an effective way to reach them so you know for for me i think the bigger way to think about it is they're they're about um, 275 million um, Americans that are reachable through direct mail and about 150 million households. You know, if there's an individual that you're looking to reach um, that you think would be a good prospect customer, um, you know, you, you can you can communicate through direct mail. Um, you might be able to reach eight out of ten of them through search and social, which is still pretty good. I'm not going to mm-hmm. discount that, but yeah. um, but 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 direct mail is 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 the biggest addressable channel. You mentioned programmatic display a couple of times. I'm not quite familiar with that term. Can you explain that? Sure. So, so um, those are, when you think about banner ads, um, you know, uh, you know, programmatic is basically it's a banner. using real-time data to make yeah. um, decisions on, on where the technology is making decisions on who to reach. And it allows you to, to run display through an addressable, you know, targeted for um, uh, uh, set of strategies versus just contextual. So contextual is, um, uh, I'm, you know, I, I'm sell, I sell, you know, automotive car wax, and and so I'm going to assume that if people are on, you know, Motor Trend and Car and Driver and Edmonds, um, Kelly Blue Book. Um, that the contextual relevance of those websites or the content of those pages makes sense. And so I'm going to serve them ads. Um, you know, what programmatic has allowed for is to say um, that's one component of it. And that's important, but who those individuals are and what they've engaged with and, and wh- where they've spent time browsing and what they've added to their carts and different um, shopping sites also matters 
whether they've engaged with my own website matters. And so I can use all those data points to shape um, who my targeting is and then only allocate budget to reach those individuals on those websites, not, you know, not everyone that visits that website. Got it. All right. Got it. What's next beyond, you know, traditional social media and the dominance of Facebook and Instagram? What do you see down the road? Because technology is keep moving forward at light speed. Like tomorrow it's going to be complete. You know what I mean? It's like, what do you see? Do you, can you see around corners? Do you have the crystal ball? What do you see happening? What's next? I, I do not. And, um, I really don't. Um, what do I hope happens? I hope there's like a, a, uh, aversion <laughs> to the overabundance of, the, you know, of technology and, and, you know, maybe we all spend a little bit more time, you know, looking at each other instead of our phones and, you know, reading a book instead of, um, you know, listening to audiobooks or um, maybe we take a real guitar lesson instead of just a YouTube lesson. Like that, that's my hope. I don't know that that's going to happen. I don't know the pandemic. It's um, a balance. It really is a balance. It. Yeah. So what do, it, what do I really think is going to happen? Um, mm. I think that it's, that technology is going to move forward at work speed. I think that VR is going to be, you know, is going to be a thing. I think that we're going to have less reasons to leave our homes. I think that, um, I think that knowledge is going to, um, we're just going to be inundated with information. And, um, uh, I look, I see it in my kids. I have, I have two young, you know, elementary school kids and, and the tech tech savvy that they have. Right. Programming I know blows, blows me away. I am not a tech person by any means like i'm an old school bricks and mortar restaurant owner operator guy you know that sort of thing and i am now in the tech space but thank god i don't have to do the tech because that is not my strong point but man my kids blow me away what what their capabilities are even at like you said you know at the young um elementary school ages it's crazy like what they can do versus when we were that age in school you know it's amazing yeah look i, I think there used to be like social cred about like what kind of skateboard you had or what yeah you know what gym she that was had. me I, I think that still yep. probably matters but now i, I hear like my seven-year-old like her like cred is like does she have a a, a gmail account and a password and that that's like, holy cow. Yeah. Um, oh, I know. Yeah. And the phones that they have, right? They have to have the latest we and greatest phones. We haven't done and, that yet. They've well, you'll get devices. there. It's coming. It's coming. It's, it, for, it, it is definitely coming. Okay. One of the foundational elements of any strong business, restaurants, of course, included, is the logo. Tell us about how you came about the Posty logo. It's interesting. I see it behind you displayed. I, I kind of dig it. It's very, it's clean. It's simple. It sends a message, but Explain how you came about that logo and what it means and what you okay, want the so, customer to get from that. Sure. So this is a um, little hard to describe um, for the the audio listeners versus the... Uh, okay. Yeah, viewers. that's true. We have but, audio listeners and video, but uh, it's basically <laughs> a robot. So so it is a robot um, and, and it's easier to see, but if you take away the... Um, um, if you take away the antenna and the eyes... Um, it's actually a printer. Oh, oh, I see that icon. too. Got it. Yeah. So, so that the idea was we we, okay. we spent a lot of time. We we really do care about brand and story. Yes. Represents you know us as people, the company. Um, it made they make great T-shirts, and um, and and I can't tell you. And we've tried things with like a carrier pigeon, and and it, it was a long exercise. Mm -hmm. um, worked with a number of different designers. Yeah. And this idea at the last minute kind of popped in. Um, in my head, quite frankly, where I, you know, we're trying to automate direct mail. And while we think a lot about the technology side mm -hmm, of things, mm -hmm, at the end of the yeah. day, there is a physical component. Yeah. So this idea of a, a robot printer um, uh, made sense. Nobody sees it. N nobody recognizes it. And that's even to, to us. Um, uh, it's better because there is that aha moment when you explain it, but you look at it and it's distinct. And it's element of curiosity. Right. I think that's fair. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Thanks for for telling us. You have a particular restaurant success story. Can you tell us how you helped a restaurant say happy birthday twenty thousand times? Sure. Uh, and and th there are lots of restaurant success stories, but um, but that I, one I jumped out at one, me. The, the one, yeah, the one that you're referring to, uh, I think is is a is a um, a great um, indication of. Um, of how you can blend, um, even, you know, 
historically, you know, ch- channels that historically did not, um, were not uh, data or techno- technology driven like direct mail that are mm-hmm. now. Yep. And, and you can bring your first party data and consumer experiences to, um, to drive a ton of value. And so, um, you know, what that, what the, the, that campaign was is um, there was this, you know, there, there actually, Two um, two campaigns that 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 um, are still running, I believe, and, and ran simultaneously, that were using um, for the restaurant's first party data that they were collecting either through you know um, frequent um, diners um, where they were able to capture um, you know who was actually um, you know dining with them at what frequency, and they were set and they were using um, the Posty platform to automate daily trigger campaigns. Um, where instead of you know mailing uh, an audience one time, um, they were timing it so that I think it was two weeks prior to their anniversary date of their last the, the anniversary not of their wedding anniversary but of their last dining experience. Yes, um, they would they would be deploying a piece of mail. And the thought was like that you you start building habit and, and rituals if you can encourage people to get on the same frequency, and that was incredibly effective. The other is they were capturing birthday. Um, upon registration with further kind of frequent um, you know, membership program. And so they had that data point and the month of um, each individual's birthday, um, you know, 30 days out, they were able to, to deploy um, a, you know, a birthday card, birthday message. And I think they were, I think they're doing promotions as well. So there was a kind of a, a gift that was able to um, drive engagement. And, and that tactic is, you know, you would think it was something that was overly done or overused. It, it, it really isn't, I, I, you know, at least it, for me as a consumer, um, there are very few brands that engage with me on my birthday. Part of that's because I'm selecting who I share that with. And part of it's because just people aren't thinking about it. But when you combine that um, ability to use, you know, the first party data you're capturing on your diners or your customers with, automation of of you know, the posty platform right. and the kind of gravitas of a piece of direct mail as the as a as a weighty engagement vehicle not just a, a newsfeed ad or a banner ad um all, all of a sudden kind of the magic of of that experience comes together um so a, a highly uh, effective marketing tool and um doesn't have to just be done through direct mail it can be done through email although email sure. Is is not as weighty as direct mail, and and I would highly recommend um, considering those type of tactics um, that are more programmatic in nature um, um, for any of your listeners. Great, thanks for sharing. So, Dave, we've covered a lot of ground today. What is your best marketing strategy for operators and managers right now? Their best marketing strategy moving forward, regardless of their sales. What if you were giving them that piece of advice? What would you say? Well, I think it's probably a, a summary of a lot that we covered. You, you, you really, quite frankly, did an a, a impressive job of teasing out a lot of information, uh, and it flowed, flowed really nicely. And so, yeah, it did. We go back got done um, memory lane. We think about like one. It's got to start with with authenticity, right? Like, mm-hmm. look, there are opportunities to make money and sell dishes and put butts in seats and stuff like that. But I think those those that's a grind um, versus thinking about um, the experience that that you're providing to um, you know as, to to a prospect diner, um, and trying to make that think think you know take pride in that think about make that special. That doesn't mean it has to be fine dining. My my kids love going and getting cheeseburgers at their favorite you know you know um, you know casual dining restaurants. That's a great experience too. Um, but um, but I think it does got to start there. Then from there, um, you know, you can kind of jump and think about what you can learn from your customers and whether that's engaging directly with them, whether that's using media channels that allow you to capture and measure results, whether it is social, whether it is direct mail, whether it's email. Um, and, and, then, and then from there, you know, thinking about what your goal um, is, you know, with that authentic kind of um, presentation that you're trying to deliver to the market what the results of kind of your investigation or your the way that you're measuring your advertising or your consumer dining experiences, um, you know, th- those are the bookends. Then in between, you start coming up with hypotheses. And so I just think you need to, you know, a marketer needs to be mindful. They need to, as they can, spend time taking a step back and thinking about, is this representing the experience that we are actually delivering? Is this 
um, you know, are we really highlighting, um, you know, the, the benefits of those experiences that we've worked so hard to, to build and present? And, um, and then, you know, what are the ways that we can test, um, you know, alternative ways of, of kind of saying the same thing, um, you know, because, you know, getting messaging, you know, correct is hard. And, and then you put that all together with, with, you know, with good targeting and it's rinse and repeat. Um, the other, the last piece of advice is like never ends. Like there's, yeah. there's never get there. Right. It's, it's never like, um, we tested these things. It can't be mastered. You know, you can get pretty good at it, but mastering it is really, well, no one's perfect, but it really no, is marketing changes. is, yeah, it's an art and a science and it will always be an art and a science, you know? Yeah. So I would say fine, whether, whether you're a dedicated marketer at, you know, a bigger company or whether you're, you know, um, a marketer third, that's your third hat or something like find some love for it because yes it, it, you know it's important it does work and and if you can and if you can actually enjoy it um versus um making it feel like a, a component of your job um it goes a long way for it sure be really fun that that is good advice awesome well thanks for sharing dave and thanks for being a great guest on the restaurant rockstars podcast we will see our audience in the next episode thanks for tuning in thanks for having me Thanks again, Dave, for being a great guest on the podcast and, of course, for sharing your marketing expertise and insights with our audience and for telling us all about Posty. I was really amazed to learn that direct mail has 20% more reach than Facebook and three times higher engagement than email. Who knew, right? Thanks also to our sponsors of this episode, Smithfield Culinary, Devo, and the Restaurant Rockstars Academy. We so appreciate you tuning in, and we also appreciate all the positive comments you're sending our way. Again, if you have any upcoming ideas or topics for an episode that you would like to um, hear about or a guest you'd like me to interview, throw me a line. I'd love to uh, hear your thoughts. Thanks so much, and we'll see you in the next episode. Thanks for listening to the Restaurant Rockstars podcast. For lots of great resources, head over to restaurantrockstars.com. See you next time.